I'm Katherine Clark. And I'm Jennifer Stewart, and welcome to The Honest Talk. We're having real, meaningful conversations with women from across Canada who've made an impact. We're going deeper than the talking points to find out about their lives, their personal challenges, and how they overcame them. So buckle up and get ready for some honest talk. Amber Mack is a successful entrepreneur, best-selling author, a TV and radio presenter, an award-winning podcast host, and a popular keynote speaker. She is also widely recognized as a global technology expert, constantly challenging the status quo when it comes to what's next in the field of innovation. And she is our guest today on The Honest Talk. Amber Mack, it is so great to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, if someone checked your webpage, Amber, they would see photos of you with some of the most influential tech gurus in the world. Um, There's a photo of you with the Canadian Prime Minister on your homepage. But they'd also see, if they read a little further down, that you grew up in a very small community. You attended a two-room schoolhouse. How did you get from there to here? (laughs) It's a good question. I don't want to take up the whole podcast (laughs) with the answer, but uh, I will just say that my parents, when I was growing up in Prince Edward Island, uh, were very entrepreneurial. And so it was always uh, a reality for us that we worked in the family business, whatever that family business might have been. So at a very young age, I think I appreciated working more than the average kid in elementary school. And I, I really enjoyed it, quite frankly. And so uh, when I got out of university and started working out in San Francisco in the tech industry, I always had two or three things on the go and I still do today. So I think uh, the reality is that growing up in a rural community where you're working as part of uh, your family business, I think you just develop a really good and healthy appreciation for work. And that work ethic, in my opinion, has been one of the things that has allowed us to build up Amber Mac Media today into a successful business. Amber, what uh, what businesses did your parents run? My parents ran a number of different businesses. At one point, they published a a magazine in my uh, high school years. Uh, When I was really young, they were property managers. So they managed uh, shopping malls. So they were responsible for things like cleaning up the parking lot. And uh, I did a lot of that work with them at a really young age. So you saw everything. I always say being a CEO, you're everything from being a janitor, quite frankly, I'll be cleaning (laughs) up my office space today, to billing, to, you know, forecasting and business development. So you, you saw the full gamut in terms of entrepreneurship then. I really did. And I think really, uh, I, I appreciate being able to uh, work in any job. And I've, I've always loved uh, working. And I know that sounds weird because most people don't love their work, but I think that no matter what I'm doing, I, I think I figure out a way to just enjoy it. And that's probably because I grew up in the country and had to make my own fun. And so I have a great <laughs> imagination and sense of uh, optimism. Did you always think that you would be an entrepreneur? Because there is a real um, spirit to that, right? I mean, there are some people who are better cut out for a nine to five style day job. And then there are other people who just have so many ideas and so much drive and like you like to work. So did that, I mean, when you were thinking about what career you might choose, was being an entrepreneur one of the options? 
I think I always knew I wanted to run my own business. Um, but of course, in my 20s, I also took on regular jobs where I was working nine to five. But it didn't take me long. You know, in most of those positions, it was about 12 months before I started to get a little bit antsy and bored. And I think part of that was just the fact that I think you're right when you have new ideas and you're really creative and often those get thwarted by people who are running the show, that can be very discouraging. So I always love the freedom that comes along with entrepreneurship. You strike me as a person, I think you just said it, essentially, that when you get told no, you kind of think, okay, well, how do I do this? Did you have a moment in your career where you were told by a boss or a supervisor that, you know, your idea, you know, didn't have enough substance and that drove you to kind of start your own career path? Yeah, absolutely. So just remember growing up in Prince Edward Island, uh, one of the few role models I had was Anne of Green Gables. So that's an important oh. part of this conversation. <laughs> My favorite. She was amazing. I mean, and, and you know, in many ways, very sort of stubborn uh, in terms of standing up for what was right. And so for me, uh, many years ago, my grandmother and I was really, really close to her. We called her Grammy. Uh, she very suddenly got sick and she ended up in the hospital. And I flew home to Prince Edward Island to be at her side. And I remember I was taking a a work call in the hallway. And, and my boss at the time had insisted that I get on this call, even though my grandmother was literally slipping away. And as my boss was talking in the middle of the call, I just, I just hung up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, very soon left that job. And, and I mentioned that because to me, it just felt like I didn't want someone else to be able to dictate when I was able to take that time to be with the people most important to me. And unfortunately, and I hope this changes, many people in positions of leadership really aren't empathetic to the needs of the people who work with them. You know, Jen and I both run our own businesses, but Jen hires staff and they're mainly women and she gives them a ton of latitude. They, you know, you got to get your work done, but there's a recognition that you have other things going on in your life. What do other leaders need to do to, to change workplaces and create better workplaces for people? I think it's fair to say that we really need more diversity in leadership, um, and that can be uh, gender, racial, um, uh, all different types of uh, diverse leaders are really needed at this point. And I think when you get uh, that diversity among leadership, I think you start to have people who are more empathetic because they've grown up uh, in different ways um, and with different levels of privilege or uh, perhaps even um, you know not having privilege in their lives. So I really do think that the more we can push to have businesses that are formed by a diverse group of people, I think that uh, we will end up getting better leaders who understand the needs of, of everyone. And we do see that with women leaders today because, you know, we have women on our team as well. And I'm the first person when they write to say, hey, sorry, I'm having an issue with virtual school. I, I, I have to be with my son. I'm like, take the day off. Like, honestly, go take the day off. We're good. And unless you're good, we can't be good as a company. And I think that is pretty apparent uh, to uh, many leaders of today who respect their team. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to go back to that moment in the hospital where you you hung up on your boss and you kind of had that moment that listen, this is a pivotal time in my personal life and it can't be taken away by kind of this needless work at this moment. How, what advice do you have to other women to kind of find that braveness? That's what I call it. I think you were being very brave in the moment and kind of creating a line in the sand. That's tough to do. How, how do other women do that? 
Well, I, I think it's really hard to do that. I mean, it really depends on uh, your comfort level in terms of the opportunities that lie on the other side. So when I say to you that I've always had two or three jobs, I'm actually being serious. <laughs> so in San Francisco, I worked at a startup, but before I went to the startup in the morning, I volunteered at the local radio station. So I would do a you know 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. shift at the radio station. Then I would go to my other job. And I've always felt as though that was the only way that I was going to have security. So if something didn't go Oh, well, I could stand up for what I believed in and fall back on something else. So in that position I mentioned where I walked away from my job, I felt confident and comfortable that there were other opportunities. And so I would say to women out there and anyone listening, I recognize that it's really not easy, but I think it's really uh, critical at the end of the day that you don't put yourself into a position where you're in a tiny little box, right? You know, I grew up thinking you could only do one thing. And people would say to me, you know, you can't review gadgets and then go interview the prime minister. And I was like, well, actually you can. <laughs> and uh, you do have that ability to have range. So I think if I have to pick one word, the word that I would pick is range. I think we need range. It gives us options. And most importantly, it gives us freedom to stand up for what's right. What's the biggest hurdle you've faced in your career? I think probably the biggest hurdle I faced is early on in my 20s. When I got out of university, I was almost $40,000 in student debt. And it's hard to come from that place and be able to overcome that. You know, I know there are lots of people who go to university and come out and don't owe any money and you're starting on a, a more positive foot. So I think the biggest challenge for me was not having that security blanket to fall back on. And, um, you know, at the same time, I probably recognize that's probably my biggest driving force as well as that I did not have that security blanket. So it has served me well. But um, I think the challenge in the early years is that things didn't come easy. I, I really did have to uh, work tirelessly. And, and today it's, it's still the same for me. I still, you know, work in an incredible number of hours and, uh, and thankfully I do get to dictate in terms of how I spend my time a little more closely. From the outside looking in, you have it all together. You have a successful business. You know, you've been called a maverick. Uh, you are growing, you have a team, you are an advocate for female empowerment, but we are living in a global pandemic. You are also homeschooling your son, who's in grade six, I, I believe. How has this year been for you? Well, this year has been, I think, um, you know, business-wise, uh, we have been thriving, and that is something I'm grateful for every day because we were able to pivot from me physically going to events to us doing so much virtually, and it's even led to more business. But I think the the one thing that has been the most challenging for me is watching my son sit at a screen a number of hours a day, like many other kids, and just recognize that um, his physical and perhaps mental health uh, is on shaky ground. And so it requires that additional time at home, the additional planning, you know, I'm planning calls around his recess breaks or his his math homework. And so that's added another layer. And, and I will say that my husband is incredibly supportive or he's terrified of me because he is very helpful. <laughs> and so that, that, a bit of both, maybe that makes a huge difference, right? You know, I get up in the morning, like this morning and I say, hey, I've got stuff to do. I need you to make breakfast, take the dog for a walk. And, and he's willing to step up, um, you know, doesn't come natural for him, but uh, he's there. So I think I would say that um, it's been really challenging, but thankfully I have the support system 
in-house to help with that and uh, the financial security to be okay. Most people don't have that. So I am more than empathetic about the challenges that face, uh, especially moms of today who are trying to run their businesses or work at their jobs and don't have help. Jen used the word maverick a short while ago, and it's a it's a really neat word in terms of describing you. And the word itself kind of suggests the comfort with change, someone who's willing to try new things. But change really scares a lot of people. Of course, the past 16 months have been nothing but change, really. But change doesn't seem to scare you at all. Is that, am I right in saying that? I think you're right in saying that. And I think change is really hard for people. And one of the things that I do talk about a lot in my keynotes is something called relentless adaptation. This idea that every day you're, you're changing, you're pivoting, you're adapting to doing things in a new way. So I think you're right. Change doesn't really scare me all that much, but it's not just because I'm a brave or courageous person. It's probably just because I'm a really good planner and I'm always planning for those times where, you know, financially, you know, something could go wrong. So I'm always paying attention to the fact that um, I can only embrace change if I have that stability at home, the stability with my business. And that's something I I learned at a very young age. I don't don't think you come to this point uh, in your life uh, where you haven't um, dealt with challenges. And if you were able to get through some of the challenges, that does give you the confidence. But I certainly always have a fallback plan. I think that's really interesting from an entrepreneurial perspective, because I know a lot of people in my circle don't like looking at numbers, kind of want to put their head in in the sand and just like forge forward. But as an entrepreneur, you need to be assessing that balance sheet, that profit and loss all the time. You need to be having contingency plans. And that really lays the groundwork for the ability to change. It's not just on a whim, right? Like it's very strategically driven based on the information that you have and not putting your head in the sand. That's really, I, I find that really fascinating. What is something that people don't know about you? Well, I think probably the one thing that, uh, well, maybe people do know this if you follow me on social media, but um, I probably another pivotal point in my life is that uh, I quit drinking in my early 20s and I, I still don't drink. So I'm 100% sober, don't drink at all. And that was a real uh, important milestone for me because I grew up on the East Coast and, and drinking culture is just part of many families. And so for me to just say no and sort of live this life of sobriety, that has just made my life so much more simplified. So I guess the the answer to that is, hey, I knew that building a business and being a woman in tech, all those things weren't going to be easy. I certainly didn't need um, alcohol in my life kind of muddying up my weekends. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I removed that factor entirely and it certainly has made my life better. Was there a reason why you quit? Was it a problem? Well, I think like anyone in their early 20s, I was partying a lot. I was always that fun person at parties or I wanted to believe that I was. But (laughs) one of the things I found is that uh, I I socially depended on alcohol to um, socialize with with people. And it was something that made me very comfortable. And again, go back to the fact that I grew up in a very rural area and uh, didn't necessarily have the confidence that other people did when I was living in San Francisco in my early 20s, uh, it was a bit of a crutch for me. And I, I recognize that. And so I think, um, you know, someone dared me to quit drinking for a month, just some silly challenge we were doing. And I did it and I kept a journal. And then my journal was just like, hey, I feel great. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to go do this. And then I was just kind of like, I don't need this in my life. And I lost a ton of friends who just didn't want to hang out with me because they didn't think I was fun anymore. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that, that was an adjustment. But, I, you know, we all have to make these choices in our life. And 
uh, for me, that was the healthiest choice. I've lost too many family members to alcohol, and I just didn't want to end up in that place. Can we go back to your son for a second too? Because I mean, you're, you're living your life with real purpose and you've made decisions throughout, like your decision to quit drinking, but also your, your approach to how you run your business and, and to what you see for yourself. What kind of lessons are you trying to impart to your son as you raise him? Well, I think the, the most important lesson is trying to impart on him that Things that seem overwhelming and things that he maybe gets disappointed about or gets frustrated about really in the big picture are small things. So if anything, especially at this point during the pandemic where he's spending so much time in front of a screen and trying to get through day to day and not really seeing other kids at all, I think just trying to to relate to him that um, he needs to remain positive. Uh, he needs to, you know, see the big picture in terms of what's happening in the world uh, and then be able to contextualize all those things he's frustrated about and understand that there will be better days. So I think a healthy sense of optimism while also being practical about his approach day to day. And of course, you know, health and, and fitness and all those things are incredibly important. So I'm trying to uh, <laughs> convince him to move a lot. Not always easy. <laughs> We, uh, we hear you. <laughs> we hear you. Amber, what's an opportunity you encountered in your life at the time that seemed like the end of the world, but in hindsight was a catalyst for this incredible career you have now? Well, one of the things I still do today, and I'm not sure if uh, this is because maybe I'm psychologically damaged in some way, is I do <laughs> things that terrify me. <laughs> and I've always been like this. Uh, I don't mean physical risks, uh, but professional risks or things that make me very anxious or fearful. So probably one of the biggest things uh, early on when I moved back to Canada from the US, I was working at City TV as a reporter. And I got approached by Tony Robbins' team. He was uh, and is, of course, a very well-known business coach and speaker. And uh, he wanted to meet with me and talk to me about advising him on social media. So uh, the only window of time he had was on a short flight on his plane between Toronto and London, Ontario. Now, I've suffered from a terrible fear of flying, and I do it all the time, but I'm, you know, sweaty palms and and just just super anxious. So the thought of getting on a small private plane for me was terrifying, but I knew that the opportunity was there. So I got on the plane with him and I was just so fearful, but I was trying to play it cool. And, you know, I don't know how long the flight was to London, Ontario, not too long, but we had a great chat and we got off the plane and I said to him, I said, you know, Tony, it's been great meeting you. I just want you to know, I'm sorry, I was a little weird on the plane. I'm very nervous, uh, uh, kind of a nervous flyer. And he looked at me and he said, no shit. <laughs> I, I had to laugh because I was thinking, here I am trying to, you know, dupe the guy who makes a living off reading into people. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, was terrifying for me to, to to have that experience because I was so fearful of of flying. And yet I knew it was a big opportunity. And, and it was a life-changing opportunity because he's been in, incredibly supportive and helped me a lot early on in my career. I'll just say I totally relate to that. I love the, you know, if, if it's television or if it's pitching you a client, I love that feeling of anxiety and fear and it's an adrenaline rush. And I, I completely relate to what you just said. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? I still feel it all the time before I do live events, before I do live TV. I'm so nervous. My husband's like, you've been doing this for more than a decade. What is wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. It's just my process. Like <laughs> I take all this energy. It turns into like weird, anxious fear. And, and then I funnel it and then it, it leads yeah. to some really good focus. And that's just, I've accepted that that's just me. So I don't see the fear or the, you know, feeling anxious as something that is necessarily a negative. It's just part of the way my body reacts to getting ready. 
What's next, Amber? What's next on your bucket list of incredible things to do with this remarkable life you're building? Well, it's a really good question. I mean, the past year has taught us a lot in terms of what can be done with virtual events. And although I've not really publicly said this, but I'm very tempted not to be going back to flying around North America for in-person events. I think there's great opportunities in virtual. So I think we'll continue to focus more on that. At some point, um, maybe I'll write another book. And, um, you know, a book is always a good way to kind of focus your ideas. Um, But, you know, day to day now, I'm just trying to get through the pandemic and hope to see my family in PEI one day soon. So just trying to stay healthy and find time for that. I know a lot of people uh, during this time are in their best shape ever. Uh, I would not fall into that category. (laughs) Uh, Not us. Um, Amber, it's a pleasure to to chat with you. I love your fear-driven fearlessness. Uh, That really resonates with us. So thank you for being with us on The Honest Talk today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. That's a wrap. And to our listeners across Canada and around the world, thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to The Honest Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also listen on our website, thehonesttalk.ca. We've got inspiring, dynamic guests lined up, and we look forward to having you back for The Honest Talk.